Hello and welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. We're back after a brief hiatus. Thanks to substitute teacher Ryan Hun for stepping in and covering while I was in the air. I'm reunited on the same time zone. It's evening here for everyone for once uh, with Becky Taylor-Gill and Jesse Parker-Humphreys. You guys are in the same city, but in separate places. But we have seen each other in real life. We've not been... IRL. We've not we're not in separate places because we've like fallen out. <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> Becky and Jesse have have consciously uncoupled. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Becky had to Becky had to move out. It all got yeah. a bit too much. <laughs> we had a lovely day. We went to an old convent today. Have Ooh. you have you spent your two days off, Flo? Well, oh man. It's been a mess. You don't want to know. I got a cold on the flight, which is oh just God, so we've, classic. We've got a cold I've too. Been Ill. I kind Jessie's, of would rather have Jessie's it now than, than, me. than pre-semis and final. I feel like it's a good time if you're going to get ill to get ill now. It's still hard work, but I don't know. I'm I'm fighting it off. <laughs> yeah. But. but more importantly, guys, we are recording off the back of, and I know we've said this like five times this tournament, but one of the biggest shocks of the World Cup, Japan have just lost to Sweden. Japan, the most consistent, most impressive team that everyone was thinking they might get a run to the final, have just been knocked out in the quarterfinal stages. Pretty crazy stuff. I'm not sure I agree that's the biggest shock of the World Cup, but I guess we'll get into it. Before we get into it, what has been your favourite shock so far? Oh, my favourite shock is obviously USA losing. Oh, your biggest shock, the one most unexpected. Japan, Spain, I think. I'm going to say Germany going out. I think especially because I was at the Germany-South Korea game. That That was, for me, wow. Really enjoyed that. Most enjoyable one was the US going out, though. Yeah. (laughs) As we'll get into, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've got a lot to talk about, especially some USWNT trolling. Obviously, earlier today, Spain beat the Netherlands in the other quarterfinal, which probably went as expected, but it's still a massive moment for Spain. But we've got to get into that Sweden-Japan game. So let's get into it after this. Yeah, so this was the later game of the day, guys. And I actually felt like it felt to me like like not the most exciting bigger box office one because I just thought Spain Netherlands was gonna you know I thought it was a good game but I thought that was the one for me that felt like the tighter closer more unexpected what might happen it wasn't that I thought Japan were just gonna breeze through but I really didn't expect it to go this way and um yeah I am I am pretty stunned even though if this is gonna be the way to win it maybe this is how Sweden could have done it I think I feel stunned in terms of that Japan maybe weren't able to create as much as I thought they could do against Sweden. I don't know if I'm stunned. I think when you get to this stage of the competition, right, there's an element of like, you've got eight very good teams. Everyone is there because they've come through tough games. Like, I think especially for Sweden to be on the high of beating the US, maybe we all sort of underestimated how much that might boost them and yeah I think Sweden Sweden really played well and I think also actually as as Flo you kind of brought up after we talked about Japan's round of 16 game maybe they they had the sort of technical strengths that we'd seen Japan struggle with in terms of 
set pieces and that's kind of how it proved to be like Sweden didn't really create that much aside from the set pieces you know obviously they score from the free kick they get a penalty from a corner aside from that the other big chance was was Stina's miss which comes from a long ball over the top and that's obviously sort of what they excelled at and classic Stina miss um got away with that one I think uh every time and Japan obviously thought they could kind of sit back and soak it up like they did against Spain but I think ultimately what we saw today is Sweden's defense is just better than Spain's. That I feel like kind of comes down to it. So, but even in the end, there were some hairy moments where Sweden's defense suddenly went up, like you know, suddenly went all a bit all over the place and a bit rogue because that the pressure and the tension of stoppage time just got to their heads because they are pretty solid and they couldn't clear the ball like so many defenses in this tournament. But Jesse, I, I want to ask you about the pressing from Japan because I know you're probably going to look into this like when you do your newsletter and stuff. But <laughs> Jesse's going to be researching the press. Well, like, you know, just got to give a flying geese. That, that plug, is the kind know, of stuff I do do, Becky, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it just felt like to me today that... I'm a subscriber, the, I know. <laughs> yeah, we get the content. We get the content. It just felt like today that the pressing wasn't as intense. It felt a little off to me. And I don't, obviously, that might be intentional because Sweden was slowing the game. They don't play as fast as Spain or some of the other teams that, that Japan have faced. But yeah, the, 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 the intensity of the press fell off. And that's obviously because if you are maybe playing a team that's going to be a little bit slow with the ball, if you press too quickly, then you're going to run out of steam quite early on but I felt like if they'd been more intense they might have created more opportunities when they just didn't create anything yeah I mean I think it's interesting in terms of thinking about where this game comes like Japan will have known all their group stage games for a while right and you do get an opportunity to prepare for them ahead of the tournament and I felt like against Spain they had a really clear and obvious pressing structure that worked really well Obviously, you can't do that in the knockout stages. You know, if Japan looks at USA, Sweden and think, oh, we're getting one of these teams, like you really wouldn't have been able to pick between the two. And then you only get a handful of days. And I think the other problem is, is that what Japan did really well against Spain is they sort of funneled them out wide and, you know, tried to limit the amount of space that was available for them if they then came centrally. And we saw actually against the Netherlands today how much joy Spain were able to get when they came centrally. The problem against Sweden, I felt, is that one... Sweden have shown that they really like playing down that right-hand side anyway. And I felt like they were perfectly happy to sort of head down that way and use Kanarid. I also think Sugita struggled a lot. I think when, as soon as Junendo came on, you saw that they couldn't get down that way. And then ultimately, I think the difference here as well against Spain is Sweden said, because I think to a certain extent, Japan's pressing did still limit the space Sweden had, but they just went, okay, if you're going to press us... Natalie Bjorn's just going to kick it over the top and we're going to have Stina to run onto it. And there was obviously the clear opportunity she got, but there are another couple of moments they did that. And suddenly you've then got Japan turning back to their goal and that kind of disrupts everything they had in terms of the pressing. And that's something that we didn't really see Spain do. Like they did kind of keep the ball in front of Japan, which made it a lot easier, I think, for them to hold their line. So I think Sweden like dealt with what Japan offered well. But as I say, I do think also like this game just kind of naturally played into Sweden's hands. I didn't really think Sweden did anything that different to what we've seen them do in other games. And this was something that was coming up on Twitter a lot. You're saying, oh, this is a totally different Sweden team to the way they played against the US. And I kind of felt like, well, not really. I think the US sort of just dealt with what Sweden wanted to do better, but it felt very familiar to watching Sweden play, say, against South Africa. Like lots of the patterns of play were like very, very identical. It just felt like in terms of how Japan wanted to set up it, sort of played into Sweden's hands in that sense. 
Yeah, not starting June Endo just seemed like a massive miss. And obviously the change came pretty quickly at the start of the second half. Uh, but it, it was almost too late and just couldn't have the right sort of impact. But I felt like starting her would have made a, a massive difference. And then obviously key moments in the game that if they'd gone slightly different, um, like with the penalty, with VAR, like there, there are obviously some other situations. But I think... At the end of the day, like Japan just didn't create create enough to give them enough of a chance with all the the calls as well that might come your way when you do create to keep themselves in the game. That's also like part of that. You know, you're going to get a more rub of the green. The thing that I think is interesting, I, I, I don't want to get too bogged down sometimes in like individual VAR calls, but I was texting righty during the game and we were falling out on the handball. I personally think, and it's interesting given the handball we had earlier in the day, um, which was, you know, couldn't have been more of a moment of madness, uh, Van der Graat sticking out her arm, and it was just so obvious. I I did think, you know, so right, it was very clear that he thought it was very harsh. There's not much you can do with her hand there. I do think there was an obvious m- uh, movement, but how much of, obviously, that that penalty changed the game? Did you guys think it was harsh? I don't think it was that harsh. I thought it was pretty fair. I, I thought, you know, like, obviously it's a big moment in the game and the handballs are just always look worse, I think, when you're with VAR and it's really limiting. But I did just think you've got to give that when her, when her arm looks like it's moving forward in a movement. Yeah, I'm quite strict on handballs that I kind of think I don't care. <laughs> Jesse has a very strict anti-handball policy. Yeah, I, I just, well, I personally feel like even if you didn't mean it, like if you affect the play, then it should be punished. I don't necessarily think it should be punished with a penalty because I think the chance of the scoring penalties often outsized to the impact of the handball. This is a conversation for another time. But yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a penalty. And to be honest, I feel like Japan kind of got it evened out because I thought the penalty call against Janogi wasn't a penalty. So I'm yeah. Kind of like, well, whatever. You got your chance. You missed your one. Um, that for me wasn't wasn't one. So I I can't don't think you can really complain with the handball against Nagano. True, and it was, it's also funny because after what we had earlier in the day as well with that other penalty being overturned, I was so sure they were going to review that penalty, have a look, and see very minimal contact. But they didn't. It didn't even go to VAR. I was baffled about that. That I think the officiating in this game was a bit odd. For me, I just thought it was a bit all over. Paul Lineth Berenstein spent the whole day being trolled by Americans, and then she had to watch that when her penalty got overturned. Like somebody buy that gala drink, please. Day. Um, guys, did any of you ever watch Buffy? I watched like yes, series but I didn't one. Remember anything? Okay, so I've been thinking a lot about um, how Sweden are the slayers <laughs> of the World Cup, and. Does, it, uh, does anyone want to remember Spike? Oh, from of course, Buffy, yes. So Lena yeah. Hurtig is right. Spike. I can see that. And Zachira Musevich. That makes is... so much sense because they fancied Spike so much. <laughs> exactly. See, you realise now. And Musevich is Buffy. I know the hair doesn't work, but like the vibes are bu- more Buffy. You know, like she's an all-American girl. Like she gives that vibe. So if we're into it, it can what be What was your thing. point here? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, what's they want? No, Sweet Sweden are the slayers of this World Cup. They okay. defeat the USA, but Spike is a vampire. Yeah, I was gonna say, aren't they on different sides? Yeah, but they reunited to get right. because I was gonna say Peter Gerhardson could be like the old library man. That kind of works. <laughs> oh my god, perfect! <laughs> yes, I love that. Um, and then there's a there's Angel who is kind of like I guess a little bit. Oh hunky. no, Angel was the one I fancied, um, not Spike. 
Wow. Okay. Well, what, someone can assign whatever listener wants Assigned to assign Angel at birth. Someone to Angel, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then Willow, uh, aka She's Alison the gay Hannigan's one. character, She's is yeah, is also is also up for grabs. If anyone wants to okay. assign, give that to uh, give that to Magda Erickson, maybe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. We. Yeah. I think that works really well. Um, but going back to the going back to the football, uh, <laughs> it was. It, I also feel like it's gutting um, for Japan because they had also taken on a bit of a mantle as like the people's champion, and especially US fans were kind of rooting for them after what Sweden did to the US, and we were all enjoying watching them. And Becky, we were in the in the group chat, but even though we were like extra time and penalties will kill us from a sleep edit you know life extra time extra time already fucked up mine and jesse's plans today so true. Yeah. so i was i wanted japan to score i wanted them to win but i wanted them to not do it in extra time yeah from a selfish point of view extra time is a bit of a killer for for us um podders but we did want to see japan win so it also feels sad i think to say goodbye to them at this stage of the competition when on the balance you felt like they deserved to get further but Deserving shit gets you nowhere in World Cup, sadly. I think the one upside that I can tell myself, because it was also really sad to see them all crying. And yeah, they were the people's champion. And it's so nice to see someone that you might not have expected to have a a run do it. But it does mean that someone new who's never won the World Cup is going to win the World Cup. And that so is so true. exciting. And that is so huge for women's football where we are right now. Not to, I mean, I'm going to get cancelled by Americans. I mean, I already have been. So. <laughs> you already have fun. Sorry. I'm gonna, it's I'm too gonna late for you. Go deeper. <laughs> yeah, it's too late. Don't try to start with you. <laughs> um, but I, you know, that Tobin Heath quote, which is like, it's good for women's football all over the world if the if the US win it. It's just not no. true. It's, it's so unbelievably stupid it's such an unbelievably stupid thing to say in my opinion like it's going to be so huge for women's football in general whichever country wins and just it's so exciting it's such an exciting time so that is one you know upside to japan going out for me jesse you you briefly touched on earlier but in our last well one of our previous episodes it wasn't the last one but maybe the one just before we did talk about the Japan's offensive weakness and that might be what undoes them today. Were you surprised at just how poor they were? I don't know if I was surprised because, I mean, they were poor, but as we kind of said after that Norway game, we'd sort of seen little bits of evidence of that. I do think something's going wrong if you're allowing Magda Eriksson to kick the ball three times in the penalty area and then have Amanda (laughs) Ilishvet score. Do you know what I mean? I think when people talked about... Japan conceding from a, a free kick or a corner, you're imagining Amanda Ilishet like heading it in, not just like, I don't know, some so, sort of pinball in the box. Um, it's tough. And I think it also speaks to the fact that like, whilst this Japan team have been very good, and I know lots of people have been very quick to jump on the Japan bandwagon in terms of being like, we always knew they were going to be amazing at this World Cup. I think something I was talking to my friend about during the game was that a world cup tests every element of your ability as a team and i think whilst japan have scored incredibly highly in some categories um in terms of sort of their ability on the ball their ability to counter attack that maybe the bit they need to go and work on for the next sort of four years or so is is that sort of defensive work on uh on corners and set pieces and 
I think it's okay to say that this Japan team did take people by surprise and also that they're not a complete team. I think they said on comms that Japan had sort of the youngest average age and Sweden had the oldest average age or something like that. But like, mm. we know this Japan team are very young. We didn't expect them to do as well as they've done for. It's been an, obviously been an incredible experience for them. Um, you know, regardless of going out here, they can still say they absolutely destroyed a team who've reached the semi-finals. And they looked mm. fantastic against Norway. And if things have gone a bit differently for them today, they could probably beat in Sweden as well. But that's just the nature of knockout football. And I think especially when you're coming up against a team like Sweden, who are so, ex you know, those players, they're not just, you know, old and they've played a lot of games. Like they've played at the highest level in international tournaments for years and years as a team. And sometimes that does just make a difference in terms of like, I think definitely you saw after the first Swedish goal went in, even with that early pressure, Japan just looked a bit rattled. They just didn't seem to like have faith in what they wanted to go out and do. And I think that is something that comes with time and with experience. And listen, lots of these players are very, very young. This isn't going to be the last time we see them all play together. And hopefully this can be a catalyst to go on and do bigger and, and better things. And we'll see them back at a high level very soon. I think you're right, because I was thinking about England in this capacity and how winning the Euros and that tournament success has played such a big part in the success that they've had so far in this tournament, even just to get to the quarterfinals, which has been a, a long old slog. And Sweden have really been tapping into that, even though the the Euros disappointment in the semifinals kind of showed a lot of naivety and a lot of weaknesses. They are grinding so well in, in this World Cup and having that belief. But looking ahead to a semi-final against Spain, that is a really interesting matchup of two pretty contrasting styles, a team that's going to be direct and rely on set pieces, a team that's going to want to have the ball, work the spaces, play through you. I'm intrigued to see how Sweden play. I feel like they're going to shut up shop and be super rigid and and you know do what they do best, but it could be kind of spicy in that semi-final. I think if I'm Sweden, I'm doing a lot of what I did today in terms of looking to play balls over the top quickly. It's something the Netherlands did and tried quite a lot. And we'll get onto it. I know Bierenstein didn't have a great day in terms of finishing, but I actually thought like lots of our hold up play was very good. And that's something that, again, a player who's not always great at finishing, but something that I do think Stine Blackstenius can be quite good at in terms of running onto the ball. Um and I think we saw when Netherlands really started to go for it that Spain's defence kind of fumbled. Um, they're going to be missing Ayana Hernandez as well, so they're going to have to rejig their back line again. I think Sweden will also potentially feel much more relaxed to be in a World Cup semi-final than Spain will, who who a bit like Japan, uh, well, not like Japan, because Japan obviously have won a World Cup, but, you know, like in terms of as a team, are playing at a level that they've not really reached before. Um, so it will be really interesting to see. Um, I do think some of the Swedish defending is also a bit chaotic and we have seen that at points too, um, especially against the US. Like, can Sweden hold as firm as they did against the US uh, in the same way that we asked whether Japan could hold as firm as they did against Spain, I guess. But I think it's going to be a really fascinating, it's a really enjoyable matchup in terms of that stylistic difference. Well, let's talk about that Spain game against the Netherlands next. Well, this one was fun and chaotic. We had a little bit of everything. Some weird refereeing, some weird VAR, some Stephanie Frappart 
France uh, action, which I, I don't know if I'm the only that from you. <laughs> I think it was it was Mim. It was Mim in uh, who I'm sadly shout out Mim. Thank you for hosting me and using your Wi-Fi today. I've been watching the game at the house in Sydney that she's staying in. Our friend Miriam Walker Khan, and she was saying, "Doesn't Stephanie Frappart sound so much like the pageant she does. France woman?" And she really does. Yeah. When she gets on the VAR mic, she's like. Penalty! Jesse did no, a really good impression of Stephanie Frappart announcing the penalty today, actually. Oh, do it. I do was it. going to say, Becky, no, I can't redo it, but Becky missed what she said and I did it word for word. Oh, and come on. Becky looked amazed. I really did. I, like, I was amazed. <laughs> you had to be there, I'm afraid. And, uh, if you were in okay. the Melbourne fan park, you got quite a show and, this morning. And, <laughs> and Jesse's brother also did a really good impression of the one of the kids from Tots TV today. The impressions coming out of the Parker Humphreys. Wow. The if anybody wants to hear a good one, two, three. If anyone wants to hear a good impression of that one of those, go to Edward Parker Humphreys. Wow. <laughs> a real throwback. <laughs> anyway, we've gone straight on to the VAR mess, but uh, a, a really kind of interesting game, Jesse, because Netherlands had spent the whole tournament loving having the ball and this was a game in which they couldn't do that and you quickly saw how life became very difficult with them because they couldn't get onto the ball and also their pass completion was very poor with what they had and that played into Spain's hands Spain had some really good chances in that first half could have been one or two up and kind of out of nowhere Netherlands gave themselves a lifeline obviously we know what happened in the end but it was just really a game scenario that was kind of perfect for Spain in this match. Yeah, when I think when you talk about the Dutch not having the ball, crucially it was the Dutch wingbacks not being able to have the ball because so much of their chance creation, it feels like, has come from Esme Brutz and Victoria Pelova. And obviously what Spain were able to do because they did have the ball was push those two players back Um and that just felt like it really limited the Dutch in terms of they didn't really have the out ball as we kind of touched on already. You know, they they were attempting to push the ball up to Bierenstein. And as the game went on, that, that did work a bit better. But yeah, they really struggled early on. I think rejigging the midfield, losing Daniela van der Donk was unfortunate for them. You know, they put Jackie Gronen sort of man-marking Aitana Bonmati, which is ostensibly a great idea because Aitana has looked so influential in this tournament, but unfortunately Spain do have plenty of other players who could hurt you. Um, Jenny Amoso and Esther Gonzalez sort of working in tandem. Then with Mariona Caldente dropping in, that was drawing um, Spitzer and Pulova all over the place and giving Onabatia just the run of that, that left-hand side. So I feel like we saw lots of the issues with the Dutch defence that we maybe could have predicted. Definitely the right-hand side looked iffy because we sort of know that Sheridan Spitzer is not really a defender in that sense. Um, you know, she's normally playing as a six and Pelova definitely isn't a defender. And there was so much joy for Spain there. And to be honest, by half time, they, they couldn't, should have been two or three nil up. So yeah, I thought the Dutch really struggled, but it early on in the game, it felt like it was going to be this familiar story for Spain, whereby we've seen this in past tournaments for them. They dominate the ball, they dominate games, but they waste their chances and, and they don't score. And in the end, they probably did deserve to get the win, but it ended up being a lot more dramatic than it needed to be. Yeah, the more it went on, I did think, oh, we're going to get a sort of USA-Sweden scenario here. We're going to get a game where someone manages kind of like squeeze it out, send it to extra time or nick a late goal. 
they, they it, it took a bit of luck. Um, on the penalty, though, Jesse, were you surprised that Mariona took it and not Jenny Hermoso? Because that seemed kind of surprising to me. Yeah, I wasn't really like I wasn't really sure who was going to take it. Um, but yes, I didn't expect Mariona to take it. But honestly, with this Spain team at the moment, it's like who's going to turn <laughs> up and play? Who's going to take a penalty? Who's going to be in what position? You just got to roll with the punches because there's no rhyme or reason behind it. It's just what Jorge Vilda's feeling like. You know, Jenny could have just like looked at him weird in the canteen and then he'd be like, fine, Mariona's taking penalties. You're off penalties so. now. Like, no thanks. Um, and exactly. On, on the on the like Jorge Vilda weirdness, we know that Pateas doesn't seem fully fit. It hasn't been her best tournament, but were you still surprised to not see her start in this game? This is not a fitness issue. Like I don't think you think it's a you think it's a, a personal issue. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I he's willing that. to see past it for because I'm saying like why is Bonmati playing? But then you'll think she's just he's he's just willing to see past it, but for not for Pateas. Yeah, it's the same as Honor. That's why Honor Batia's playing. Yeah, because he can't not play her. But and surely it's Alexa Pateas. Well, I know right now she's not the same. Her. She's not the same beast. But surely it's the best player in the world, technically. You know when she's fully fit. But that seems wild. They're doing it. They're winning without her. So. But you've also got to think of like who they're playing ahead of Alexia and who they're playing ahead of Alexia is Jenny. And it might just be that he thinks that Jenny has more loyalty to him or specifically Esther then gets to play as the nine. And Esther is someone who has been fully loyal to him. So there are just so many interpersonal relations within the Spanish team. And like, let's be real, like we can speculate all we want and we're never going to know what's going on there all i know is that it's gross and it is personal and like none of it's what's been really frustrating actually has been seeing commentators take lots of the spain team at face value and i think that's a really like dangerous and shameful thing to do like ultimately vilda did stay in the job players did go back to the team that's all on them they can you know choose what they want to do with how they feel about their morals around it and whether it was worth it. But I think it's incredibly disingenuous for commentators to sit around and be like, wow, isn't Jorge Vilda doing an amazing job? Like, yes, yeah, sure, Spain are in a semi-final, but like, isn't it an amazing job to have like some of your most exciting players of uh, in Spanish football history to be stuck at home because you're such a frustrating manager to work with? Are you doing an amazing job if you're leaving some of the best players in the world on the bench, probably for personal reasons? Like all of that stuff actually makes me almost way more uncomfortable than than actually like what the Spanish players have sort of signed up for themselves. Jesse, do you think we're going to see Alexia in the in the semi-final? Nope. <laughs> nope. Because, <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, but like I just feel like it, it's the same way, you know, he started the team that started the round of 16 because if you're winning why would you change it you know we've not even touched on how bizarre it is that poor Misa Rodriguez who famously got mugged off by Aitana Bombati <laughs> queen of the scabs herself <laughs> has since we, been you know dropped what? from the no, team to play sorry. bloody Catacoil sorry we're really getting counterpressed after dark tonight it's queen half eight scabs. local time and we're getting mugged off by queen of the scabs <laughs> this is really this is the Sorry, content just, we get paid for guys right here it right just now. makes me like it just makes me mad and i totally understand that all of these players went through like tough decisions and they had to decide whether it was better to get to play at the world cup and mariona said this stuff afterwards where you know if we win the world cup then i guess we can say it was worth it and like ultimately 
I don't want to like spend ages putting shit on the players because it is also on the Spanish Federation and it is on Jorge Vilda for creating an environment where that is a decision they even have to make. I just think like it's really heartbreaking to see the way players who've had to like suck stuff up in terms of like going with the team are still being like mucked around when they're there. And I think Misa is a great example of that. Like I think she got a lot of shit during the season because she continued to be called up. And that was from players like Aitana who are now in the team. And then she went to the World Cup as the first choice goalkeeper and got dropped without literally doing anything wrong on the pitch. Like that's the kind of stuff that does frustrate me. Like, yeah, it's just annoying. It, it, it just gives a whole not very, it leaves a nasty taste in your mouth, really watching the whole thing. And if they do win the semi-final, if they get to the final and who knows what will happen, it will just be a bit icky, won't it? Like the whole thing doesn't feel the same. Um, I want to talk about Holland. We briefly touched on like their style of play and, and how this was going to be difficult for them. And Jesse, it did just feel like they played a team who do what Holland have been doing well for the past year and a bit under Andres Jonkers, but they, they just do, they came up against a team who's been doing it for years and do it better and just knew how to find the gaps. Um, and Bierenstein has that amazing chance. Um, and we have to give Van der Graat credit for creating something out of what absolutely nothing after what she'd done on the other side of the pitch to come out of nowhere and finish like that. That was amazing. But everyone will focus on the Bierenstein moment and also will focus on the uh, comments that she made around the US women's national team. And we're going to go live to our USWNT trolling <laughs> correspondent, Becky Taylor Gill in Melbourne. Chief troll. Chief, um, uh, chief troll. Um, troll in chief. Troll in chief. Because you were obviously hot off the press on this because Berenstein was right in her comments to say what she did. Like, it's what we've all been thinking it. Lots of people have been saying it. But obviously, chat shit get banged is classic she listened in football to the last counter press where we said tweet it <laughs> yeah tweet the tweet thing it, say it she was yeah. like fuck it now's my moment and i respect yeah. it and then she became obviously public enemy number one in the u.s as soon as they and dropped a stinker, <laughs> hey, stinker. <laughs> um jesse she like she becomes this unfortunate like i guess mini villain because of those comments and because of the fact that she misses the chance it's like no not her yeah i mean there are so many things to unpack within this i think first of all i thought lilith bierenstein played a lot better than for example lika martins or jill Rod. and even though she missed chances and i get that's frustrating i still think her overall contribution to the game was actually worth a lot more in terms of the comments I don't think the way she performed has any bearing to the comments because one, like, does anyone disagree? Like, unless you're American. And like, they disagree strongly. Let me tell you. They disagree <laughs> strongly. That's fine. So many tweets today. <laughs> and also, crucially, regardless, Lilith Bierenstein played in a quarterfinal and none of the American team did. So I kind of think, yeah, obviously, like, chat shit get banged, but like, she still went further. Yeah, bizarre. But we've got to give credit to the one real winner of all of this. Because obviously part of the Dutch US beef was that they played the 2019 World Cup final. And there is still, for at least tonight, one woman standing. And that's Serena Wiegmann. 
True. Serena, get your Lyneth Bernstein on and get into that press conference right now. I know. Serena doesn't chat enough, like, explicit shit. She's, like, quite subtle with her digs. But I want I want to see some more action from our side because I don't think we've been salty enough. We've been too polite and too media trained so far. And Holland have been giving it the big one. And Dres Yonkers with all the chat about other teams catching up from the off. They go and get that result against Netherlands. USA get knocked out. Bernstein didn't work out for her, but you know I appreciate. I respected. I appreciate. What she did. I respected what she did, and I think you know there are, there were obvious merits and things that prove what she said. I mean, the USA went home, and that's the reality. I don't understand how you can build an entire brand on being the best in the world and being like USA against the world. Like people people replied to my tweet with like a picture of Alex Morgan and. Um, Rose Lavelle wearing t-shirts that say USA versus the world and I'm like yes pal this proves my point like well, USA versus everybody yeah those, you like, can the merch, you can yeah. they can give it out all day long but they cannot take it you're just gonna have to have thicker skin we all hate you because you're really successful so just enjoy it enjoy the tweets enjoy the banter but they cannot I, I think I think that's the thing. That that's it. You have to lean into the football banter because this is They don't do it well, we know that, so <laughs> this this is it. It's like negging is part of the fun. Let's all neg together and have a laugh. Because England, we've built a lifetime of being the losers that everyone hates, but we're kind of funny about it and that's our thing. So now that we're well, kind of good. Let's wait and see how rattled we get when we <laughs> no, get knocked see, out now tomorrow. I've to, now I've had to be like, if we do get knocked out, I have to keep my lip zipped. That I am saying no, we'll, nothing. I no, will not we'll have- be, Becky people, will be rattled people, only on her people circle. People have bookmarked my tweets. I can see it. And I'm like, I will not give you the satisfaction. No, we will be, we will go out, if we do, with grace, grace and, class. and decorum and class because that's all we've <laughs> ever known on this show. We wouldn't dare do anything Famous different. Grace, decorum and class, who's who? <laughs> <laughs> class, never met the woman. Um, well, I guess that just leaves us to look ahead to England's judgment day tomorrow <laughs> against Colombia. We'll all be there in Sydney at the game. Whew, it's going to be stressful. We're going to be watching France, Australia in the fan pole outside the stadium before on the big screen, which is wicked. I'm so here for it. Um, what time do you guys get into town? I don't know. Jesse was dad for this one and booked my flight for me. Oh my God. Wow. I know. Dad I, know. I really like feel <laughs> like passenger princess kind of vibe. <laughs> We are landing at 3.30, so let's everyone pray for no delays and oh, hopefully God. we'll be able to get to the fan park as quick as possible. I thought you were so coming in second. early doors. You're coming it fine, We've got guys. a big gay night out tonight, so it's not possible. That was part of the problem. Okay, yeah. no fair. I think you've got to think about your sleep and your hangovers. Okay, well, um, I'll let you get on and get out because I know you've got big evening plans, so I don't want to hold you back. Mullet convention, then the gay bars, <laughs> which in Australia... Wow are different things. <laughs> <laughs> mullet and moustache, that's how they do it in Australia. Jesse's going to come home yeah, with mean a mullet. Anything. I am going to shave a mullet. I was hoping I could grow one out, but no, I think given no, we're only here no, for another week, I've no, not got I think you should. No. I'm into it. I've got the clippers, no, I'll not. do the sides. Shall I do it I'm later? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about <laughs> that. Before we anyway, go out, I'll come round with the clippers. We better go, <laughs> otherwise tonight could escalate for these two in Melbourne. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, of course, with reaction to 
France, Australia, and England. Columbia. We'll see you all then.